Before we begin, don't forget that if you want to hear this episode ad-free, then sign up to our members channel. Just search for What's the Story Crime in Apple Podcasts or follow the link in our show notes. Members will get exclusive access to all episodes of Smoking Gun, completely ad-free, before anyone else. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science, with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The cigarette industry had a problem. It was the early 1950s, and scientists were beginning to draw a link between the use of cigarettes and major diseases. If people get sick after smoking, we might not sell as many cigarettes. So, inventors got to work and marketing experts began to come up with a new strategy. Their solution was the cigarette butt, a filter which could stop the harmful toxins from the cigarette before you inhaled them. Within a few years, almost every cigarette brand had adopted this new design Cigarette butts were here to stay, and you'll be hard-pressed to find anyone who doesn't know what a cigarette butt is when they pick one off the floor. The designers of the cigarette butt had hoped the device would save lives and prevent disease. But they hadn't banked on those cigarette butts, also playing a key role in solving a murder case. My name is Sarah Henderson. I've always been fascinated by the world of forensic science, the amazing ways in which crimes can be solved and the clues which can be found almost anywhere. And my name is Tracy Alexander from Forensic Response UK. I've spent years inside these processes, searching for those clues. I've dedicated my career to using science to help the course of justice. And my work has ensured that hundreds of criminals have gone to prison and the wrongly accused go free. Together, we're going to lift the lid on some of the most extraordinary cases from around the world. We'll discover how, with the help of science, everyday items have become the key to catching a killer. From What's the Story Sounds, this is Smoking Gun, The Cigarette Butt. Barry Crane was one of life's winners. By the mid-1980s, he had made a name for himself in the showbiz capital of the world, Los Angeles, becoming a renowned TV director, whose credits included The Six Million Dollar Man and Hawaii Five-O. From his Studio City apartment, he was a stone's throw from Hollywood Boulevard, living amongst the who's who of the silver screen. But despite his enviable CV, it wasn't TV directing which had earned Barry notoriety. It was, in fact, the game of bridge, which Barry happened to be extremely good at. 
On the face of it, bridge is a simple card game played by two pairs and its popularity led to millions of people around the world taking part in friendly competition. Barry was an elite player, so elite in fact, that he won the North American Championships a record-breaking 15 times. He became a grandmaster and would travel extensively around the world to play the game he loved. In July 1985, Barry, now 57 years old, was competing in one of his local competitions, a week-long event in Pasadena, California. It wasn't the highest stakes game or the most important tournament that Barry would play in, but, of course, he wanted to win. And, being in California, it meant that he could return home every day. On Friday, July 5th, the tournament was drawing to its climax, and Barry's team were on their way to another final the following day. But it was a final he wouldn't be able to attend. Just after 3pm, Barry's housekeeper made a shocking discovery. Inside the garage, she found the body of Barry Crane, naked, wrapped in a bedsheet. He had been beaten, it seemed. What on earth had happened? Who was responsible? The housekeeper immediately dialed 911 and emergency services rushed to the scene. At first glance, there was no sign of a forced entry. There was no broken window or door that had been kicked down. But things were amiss. The detectives were able to deduce that Barry had been attacked inside his apartment and apparently hit repeatedly with a ceramic statue. He'd then been strangled with a telephone cord before his body was dragged through to the garage and covered with a sheet. Such a chaotic event, taking place across multiple parts of the house, certainly gave investigators plenty to assess. And while forensic science was in its relative infancy, the scenes of crime officers knew that clues would be left behind. Had the killer left a footprint? Had they dropped anything incriminating during the struggle? Did the fact that there was no forced entry mean that Barry had known his attacker? Or were there other clues which could move the investigation on? All of these clues needed to be investigated. But in fact, it was the absence of something which gave detectives their first lead. Barry's car which was no longer parked in its usual spot in the garage. Nowadays, a stolen car can be found within minutes, if you're lucky. Automatic number plate recognition cameras are fixed on motorways across the UK and Europe, and similar licence plate recognition, or LPR, is used across most of North America. A quick scan of the system can pinpoint if a stolen car has passed by any of these cameras, sometimes within minutes, and help law enforcement officers to close in. But that technology wasn't available in 1985. In fact, finding a stolen car resembled a giant scavenger hunt. It could be anywhere. Patrols were given the description, but there was little more that could be done. Finding the car would require an officer with eagle eyes or a member of the public finding it abandoned and calling it in. 
So it's perhaps a little surprising that as soon as the following day, Barry's vehicle was indeed found on a mountain road, just a short drive away from his home. Because of the crime which had occurred, officers made the assumption that the killer had driven the car away from his home and left it here. But had they left any clues inside? The car was dusted for fingerprints, on the door handles, steering wheel and gear stick. The seat was swabbed to see if there were any traces of the killer's clothing. The footwell was meticulously poured over to see if there was any remnant of soil or debris, perhaps carried in by the killer's shoes. But in truth, the officers didn't need to look for minute fragments or traces. Their suspect had left far more in the vehicle for them to analyse. The ashtray, built into the central console of the vehicle, contained the ends of some cigarettes. Cigarettes which had been smoked by the driver. The significance of the find wasn't immediately obvious. Forensic science couldn't yet pinpoint a killer's identity with minuscule amounts of saliva left on a cigarette butt. But officers were well-practiced in gathering up such evidence and storing it properly, just in case it could come in useful later on. For now, their focus was on trying to find a lead through more traditional methods. They explored whether Barry had any enemies, or if there were any suspects who may have a motive for killing him. The sheer level of the violence inflicted on him suggested this wasn't a robbery gone wrong. That, coupled with the lack of any apparent theft, pretty much ruled out robbery as a motive. And the fact that there was no forced entry made officers believe that Barry had perhaps let his attacker into the home. But who would want Barry dead? Attention turned to the bridge tournament that Barry was playing in. Could a motive come from one of his rival players? Had there been any disagreement that could have spiralled way out of control? Well, no, there wasn't. All of the statements the officers took were of a good-natured sport, played competitively but fairly. And there was nothing to suggest that any of Barry's rival players could have been driven to commit a crime like murder. In fact, the very next day, Barry's team was due to play in the final. And despite the shock of Barry's murder rippling throughout the bridge-playing community, the decision was made that the final should go ahead. Another player was drafted in to take Barry's place, and they would go on to win a final trophy that Barry would never get to see on his mantelpiece. So if it wasn't a rival player or anyone in the bridge community who had attacked and killed Barry, then who was it? The answer to that question would not become apparent for more than 30 years. During that time, the case was never closed. Barry's family and friends remained hopeful that they'd receive some closure some explanation as to why he had been killed and who by. The police, well, they continued to appeal for information. Perhaps the man responsible would be overcome by guilt and hand themselves in. Stranger things had happened. But there was no confession incoming, and the murder of Barry Crane threatened to just be 
one of those cases which stayed unsolved. Across the United States, there were almost 10,000 unsolved homicides last year. And while clean-up rates were higher historically, there are still tens of thousands of crimes which remain unsolved today. To help clear that backlog, evidence from all those old crime scenes is logged, retested and added to the databases. There's a system to match DNA found at the scenes with modern-day samples taken from suspects. And there's a similar system for fingerprints too. In 2006, a dogged officer from the investigative team requested that all evidence from the case be re-examined and added to the database. He believed that the clues to catch the killer were in front of their very eyes, but the analysis drew a blank. Still, the officer held out hope that science would one day provide an answer. And so, in 2018, he made another request to test everything again. This time, the combination of DNA evidence and a fingerprint database would throw up a suspect. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The officers who had discovered Barry's car on that mountain road had gathered as many fingerprint samples as they could find. Think about how many parts of a car you might touch as you climb in and climb out. It was no surprise that Barry's prints were all over it. But there was another print discovered on the driver's door, a palm print. Officers wondered if it had come from the driver. Perhaps he had closed the driver's door with a shove of his palm. Equally, it could have been left by one of the officers in error or by any passerby at any time. It could be the killer's print, but that would be hard to prove. Nevertheless, the print was gathered and stored and added to the fingerprint database 
so that if a match ever came up, then the officers would be made aware. So in 2018, when the fingerprint database did spot a match between that palm print and another print on file, officers had to remind themselves that they were still a long way from getting a conviction. The print had matched to a man called Edwin Hyatt. Edwin was a resident of North Carolina, thousands of miles to the east of Los Angeles. But almost certainly, his palm had pressed against the door of Barry Crane's car more than 30 years earlier. Every part of the officer's instinct was to immediately arrest Edwin and ask him if he was a killer. But they had to move more slowly, so they started some background reading. They learned that Hyatt had a criminal record, though nothing which suggested he was a murderer on the run. He'd been caught back in 1985 with a stolen car in the state of Utah. And then, in 1997, he'd been charged with domestic violence after allegedly attacking his ex-wife. So, could this man be hiding a violent secret? Had he, all those years ago, committed a violent murder? The FBI officers sent to investigate Hyatt's possible links to the murder of Barry Crane were watching him from a distance. They could see a man who was working as a mechanic at a car dealership in Burke County, North Carolina. He'd spent his time hunched over a broken engine or on his back underneath a damaged chassis, his overalls mucky and hands caked in oil. And as with many of his colleagues, he'd break up the day with a cigarette break and a plastic cup of coffee in the yard out the front. He seemed nothing other than a regular guy. But for the two officers... He was one of the easiest people to gather evidence from. As Hyatt discarded his coffee cup into the trash and extinguished his cigarette and twisted it into the ground, he thought little of it. And he didn't notice as one of the plain-clothed officers strode across the parking lot and retrieved the items carefully. Cops now had a living, breathing sample of Edwin Hyatt's DNA in their possession and it was taken away to the lab. Back in 1985, investigators had gathered cigarette butts from the stolen car belonging to Barry Crane. And now they hoped that the same DNA profile would be found on those cigarettes and the ones Edwin Hyatt had just discarded. Hyatt might be able to explain how his palm print had arrived on the outside of Crane's car. But he'd have a much tougher job answering questions about why he'd been smoking cigarettes inside his car. Gathering DNA from a cigarette butt is a straightforward task for forensic experts. There's usually one major DNA profile present, indicating the human who smoked it. These days, forensic evidence can come in the form of microscopic amounts of bodily fluids, and scientists are able to separate one profile from another on the same item. But such advanced techniques weren't needed in the case of Edwin Hyatt he'd unwittingly delivered a full DNA profile as he puffed on that cigarette and gifted it into the hands of officers. But had he also deposited the same inside Barry Crane's car? Well, scientists tested those cigarette ends found in the ashtray. 
and they couldn't find any DNA matching the murder victim. But they did locate some DNA which matched that of Edwin Hyatt. And the chances of that DNA belonging to someone else were less than one in a million. Officers were confident that they had proven that Edwin Hyatt had been inside Barry Crane's car. And in all likelihood, police believed he had killed him too. When officers arrested Edwin Hyatt and took him in for questioning, they were in for a shock. He looked unwell and was seated in a wheelchair, the result of an accident, they were told. Hyatt had been struck by a tree, and while his body was impaired, so was Hyatt's mind. He told officers that he couldn't recall the name Barry Crane, and when shown a picture, he didn't recognise him. But that didn't mean that he denied the crime. In fact, Edwin Hyatt accepted the forensic evidence that placed him at the scene of the violent murder. And he accepted that it was entirely possible he was a killer. Anything is possible back then, he said. I was big into drugs. Officers learned that Hyatt was indeed in Los Angeles in 1985. And by his own admission, he was a heavy drug user. Hyatt could offer no explanation of the crime he carried out. There was no feud between the two men. Officers couldn't find anything which connected them. It seemed unlikely that Barry Crane had let a stranger into his home. But perhaps the door had been left ajar and Hyatt had simply let himself in. Or perhaps he'd had some sob story, which Barry Crane took pity on. With Hyatt unable to offer any explanation, Barry Crane's friends and family had to accept they'd never get complete closure. But at least they finally had a name and some justice. In October 2021, Edwin Hyatt pleaded guilty to voluntary manslaughter. His lawyer pointed out that Edwin would accept his fate and told the court that he was now a very different man to what he was at the time of the murder. Indeed, work colleagues of Edwin Hyatt proclaimed that he wouldn't hurt a fly and insisted that he had found solace in religion. Judge Eric Harmon listened to the facts and sentenced Hyatt to serve 12 years in a state prison before he could be considered for release. The sentence marked the end of a 36-year fight for justice and answers. But Barry Crane's legacy will continue far beyond that. The community in the world of Bridge decided to name a trophy in his honour, given every year to the player who has accumulated the most points. It's likely that few will ever surpass the status in the game that Barry Crane once had. Smoking Gun is a What's the Story original podcast series. It's narrated by me, Sarah Henderson. And by me, Tracy Alexander. The series is supported by Forensic Response UK. Our work promotes the international fight to improve forensic techniques, to share ideas and develop the crime-solving scientific advances of the future. If you've enjoyed this episode, please give it a rating and review and help to spread the word. You can listen to a new episode of Smoking Gun every week wherever you get your podcasts. Hold up. 
If you want to listen to all episodes right now, you can find them completely ad-free on our subscription channel, What's the Story Crime. On there, you'll also get exclusive access to a whole bunch of bonus interviews led by me, where I speak to some of the most experienced and skilled forensic scientists from around the world and find out more about what they do. Those interviews are only available on What's the Story Crime. There's also a whole range of brilliant true crime content all made by the same team. You can check out The Missing, with more than 60 episodes all about long-term missing people, which invites you to try and help solve the case. You'll also find exclusive series like Jigsaw, true crime investigations like 900 Degrees, and incredible stories told over several parts. Whatever you're into, if you enjoy listening to Smoking Gun, we're sure you'll find your next must-listen podcast on What's the Story Crime. Signing up is really easy. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, just search for What's the Story Crime. Subscribe, and you'll get all your favourite shows ad-free. For listeners on Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, or any other platform, all you need to do is click the link in our show notes or visit www.whatsthestorysounds.com forward slash crime. Your subscription helps to ensure we can keep making more of the content you love. And it costs just £3.99 per month.